We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon! Down to one job. How's it going? Oh yes, I am down. Yes, down to one one paying job and several not paying jobs. Yes, uh, things are going really well, which can only mean one thing: something terrible is about to happen to me, and I don't <laughs> know what it is or where it's going to come from. So I need to steal myself and be ready for when that happens, because it's going to be soon. Good to know. I will uh, keep an eye out. Let you know if if I see the asteroid, the the Simon shaped asteroid hurtling towards Toronto. You know, so I can try to give you a heads up. But uh, we're we're gonna have fun talking TV this week. There's a there's a lot of shows though. Not it has wasn't as as much of a knockout week I think as it has been kind of recently, especially for the comedies. But we'll, we'll get there though. There's lots to talk about though. We had uh, we were fortunate to have Dan Frisella from TV Fanatic come on and talked with us about Justified season four. So we're gonna do a season spotlight on that rather than our, our standard DVD shelf. That'll be at the end of the podcast. Uh, before that, though, plenty of uh, plenty to talk about with our Weekend TV. We did hear from some of you guys this week. I wanted to mention, heard from Bob Jane's Andrea Must Die, which is, I know you changed your name to Andrea R.I.P., not really, um, but I still enjoy that username quite a bit. Matt and Beth about the Game of Thrones podcast that I'm currently doing with Ricky and then the floating guest. So thank you guys so much for listening. I very much appreciate that. Also heard from Oliver, who wasn't as big of a fan, but we still appreciate that you, that you listened. Bob wanted to know, um, wants me to drop in with a few of my thoughts on Game of Thrones book five, Dance with Dragons, when I finish it up. I am at the beginning of that book, Bob. I'm enjoying it. I unfortunately got a little spoiled, so I know what's a bit to come, but uh, I'm very excited for that. Uh, talked a little who with Matt, who agrees that they need some female writers. What show do you think is most in need of any female voices in the writers' room? Ooh, um, I know. I, I can't think of too many shows that don't have them, except for Doctor Who. I did notice that uh, Justified has a real shortage mm-hmm. of female writers, and unfortunately, the episode that we singled out as being not very good did have a female writer, <laughs> and I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. Um, but you know it's but it, it but I can't really criticize them because the writing is awesome. So yeah, yeah. it's tricky. That's awkward. Anyways, uh, that hopefully that'll be something that uh, gets addressed in the future with with Doctor Who. Uh, Shannon uh, said that he could have listened to our Angel talk for another hour, and and Shannon, we almost talked for another hour. We we after we stopped recording, we talked for at least another twenty minutes. Um, yeah, I can really talk about some of these shows way too long, and I appreciate your patience with uh, with that, Simon. No, no, it's 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 perfectly fine. I, I enjoy listening to you babble on while I just do other things and don't really pay much attention. That's not actually true. 
not actually uh, that much of a dick. Well, see, that's the thing. We have video, so I can I can watch you. And then when you guys start to glaze, I know to wrap it up. So it's it's helpful. It's, it's helpful. <laughs> uh, Steph also uh, dropped us a line about Angel and Doctor Who. She's ready for there to be a new showrunner. And um, I very much enjoy Moffat, but I might be ready for that, too. We'll see. We'll see what the season brings us. Um, she's not a big fan of, uh, Vampire Elena and Catherine, uh, sharing screen time on Vampire Diaries. It's got to say, I was not disappointed that there wasn't Vampire Diaries this week. It made me feel kind of bad. Yeah. It's funny how that show can swerve from being awesome to just going back to mediocrity faster than anything else on right now. Yeah. It's a little disconcerting, but Steph is watching Top of the Lake, as is Mario, as is Ken. So thank you guys. That was one of our questions last week. Very glad to know that that some people are, in fact, watching. And Top of the Lake was amazing this week, but you didn't get to see it yet because of, you know, the works. So we won't really be talking about it. But next week we will. Next week there will be plenty to say. Uh, Let's see. Mario also liked Orphan Black and Hannibal. And you want to know if I'm still watching Grimm? Yes, and there'll be some thoughts about Grimm later in the episode. Also, I did dive into Scandal somewhat. I'm going to wait to watch a few more before I give any thoughts on the episode. But I have checked that out due to Mario's encouraging. Beth is also a fan, so we'll see what, what how that goes. Ken thinks I should write up a, an anal- analysis of Bear McCreary's music, just like over all the different shows that he writes for. And I'm tempted. I like most of those shows. So. You should absolutely do that because uh, no one else is as equipped <laughs> to do that as you are. And then the final thing I'll mention is, uh, oh yeah, Ken also thinks that there should be gladiators on The Walking Dead, and I th- this thing I don't think they can do that because uh, Spartacus, Gannicus, any of those guys, any one of those guys, Navia, any of them would just destroy all of the walkers, and then there would be no show. Do they have whey powder after the apocalypse? I don't know. You'd think so. There should be, you know, that stuff's got to last a while, right? As long as it's sealed. Uh, I would assume so. So, yeah, they they would, I think they would just take them out. But um, the last thing I'll mention is we talked, the two of us with Justine, very briefly about uh, New Girl and True Americans. And I still want there to be an official rules submitted and and accepted and given the canon stamp of approval for, for that game so that I can play it. As long as they're openly contradictory. Unfortunately, no new iTunes ratings or reviews this week. Maybe this coming week we'll get one. That would be very nice. Please uh, please check us out on iTunes. Give us either a rating or a review. It does help other people find the show and uh, lets us know you know what you guys are thinking of, of what we're putting out. We very much would appreciate that. At Sound On Sight this week, it is currently locations or set month. And so Dan put up an article about Cheyenne Mountain from Stargate SG-1, which is a lot of fun. Bill put up an article about a local hero, but also the village from The Prisoner. So there's been some fun stuff going on with that. And you have a certain Spartacle that's going to be going up. Yes. I, don't, I, I totally forgot I came up with that portmanteau earlier. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, because the Spartacus finale is coming this Friday, and by finale I mean series finale, I wrote up a an article about why it's awesome and why if you're not watching it, you are dumb. Uh, <laughs> unless of course you have an aversion to uh, sex, nudity, beautiful people, blood, awesomeness. I don't know. It, it, again, there's probably something wrong with you if you can't enjoy Spartacus. So uh, it, it's, it, it does get a little bit spoilery, but it's Spartacus. I mean, come on. History. History, yeah. people. History. <laughs> So, yeah, that'll be up uh, by the time this podcast goes up. It's longer than I usually go, but still not as long as the pop music piece, which I'm still not done writing yet. And I'm still contributing to and still working on. 
hey, you know what? I can't really give you a hard time this week because it's been a while since I wrote anything that wasn't a review. So I have to get off my butt too. So I'll try to come up or with get something. on your butt as it as it were. Yeah, either way, either way. But uh, we sh- we should get started with our week in TV. We're gonna kick it off with our week in genre. Let us show the son of Crassus and his men what we have learned beneath the heel of their mighty republic. And in the lesson, honor the dead with Roman blood! So this week for the genre TV that we watched, we had uh, Game of Thrones, Dark Wings, Dark Words, Supernatural, Taxi Driver, Grimm, One Angry Fuchsbau, Doctor Who, The Rings of Akatan, Orphan Black, Instinct, and Spartacus War of the Damned, The Dead, and The Dying. That's a lot of shows. We're going to mostly touch on the first few very briefly. Of course, we have the Game of Thrones Sound Inside podcast, which should already be up in your feed, which is myself and Ricky with a guest. This week it was Les Chapel from This Was Television and uh, the AV Club talking about that episode you can listen to our thoughts there simon what did you think of game of thrones this week uh it was all right it was even more of a hey let's check in on everyone and make very little actual plot progress i thought than the premiere was which was a little disappointing and also i was uh mostly because i haven't read the books i was a little bit disoriented by the introduction of seemingly a dozen new characters in a single episode which i was sort of hoping they weren't going to do especially because i review the the show on the site and it makes things really really hard uh (laughs) and i'm selfish and etc etc but obviously there were some really good scenes and it was a really great showcase especially for the women this week you know brienne and marjorie and marjorie's awesome grandmother (laughs) and uh you know diana rigg is awesome and as others Dame Diana Rigg, yes. As other, as many other people have mentioned, the show has a Dowager Candace now, and it's like watching Downton Abbey, except not boring or infuriating. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, that second one for, for for me. But yeah, I'm glad you liked it. We liked it too. I, I actually was the one who liked it the least of the group, so that's interesting. Let's move on to uh, some more genre affair. I want to mention Supernatural Taxi Driver. I got to give some credit. I'm just mentioning this because I have to give credit to the marketing department for not spoiling the return of Bobby Singer. Uh, they love to do that uh, over at the CW and most of these other, ne- other networks. So when Jim Beaver showed up, I was very, very pleasantly surprised because I did not expect to see him. And uh, yeah, it really helped my enjoyment of the episode. It was a fun episode, and um, that was a big part of why. I also want to mention Grimm. I haven't talked about Grimm the past couple weeks, but this was one angry Fuchsbau. And uh, not only was it that fun twist on 12 Angry Men, but I really liked it, that they went for a funny episode. This week it had like this this great um, Wizard of Oz ending, and you were there, and you were there. It was it was great. Uh, but also, I, w- I really want to give specific credit to Bitsy Tullock and the, and what she's doing with Juliet. I love the handling of that character on Grimm. They're doing such a good job with the the girlfriend character, and um, I mean I don't want to necessarily give the credit to the show as a whole. The the writing for her has been very good, but the performance is so naturalistic and uh, so believable that y- you immediately connect with what she's experiencing. She's sort of our entry into this world and um, just she she brings truth to every single thing that she's doing. And when uh, yeah, Simon, if you checked in this week and you saw what she was doing, it could have been terrible she's like seeing five different versions of nick all talking to her at the same time and she's feels like she's going crazy how many terrible versions of that i'm losing my mind have we seen right yeah but but they they did it really well and that comes all down to the performance so 
my hats off to to Grimm and Busy Tullock in uh, in particular. But let's talk about some of the shows that we actually have both seen or and can both talk about. That is, um, so we'll kick it off with Doctor Who: The Rings of Akatan. What was this exactly? Because I feel like this was one of those times when I'm watching Doctor Who and it's making a big fuss about itself, and I just don't get it. Like I I just I was sitting back watching this and thinking. This show makes it seem like the stakes are really high in this episode, but I just don't feel it. Like I, something about the the basic concept of the baddie this week or whatever that was supposed to be just flew straight over my head, and I just felt like uh, this is just not connecting on some basic level. So this was one of those times when I just felt like Doctor Who was not communicating something very basic to me. Am I am I totally uh, off here? No, I actually, I've had an interesting experience with Doctor Who this week because uh, my review's already up at Sound on Sight, and while I liked many elements of this episode, uh, I mean, it's visual, it's just gorgeous. I think uh, the visuals, both yeah. the visual effects, but also just the 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 world creation and the 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 creature effects and and designs, as down to like the the detailing and the the costume that the um the robes that the Queen of Years is wearing. It's it's gorgeous but then you have things like the TARDIS isn't translating for Clara but for for some of the alien languages but it is for others which is completely uh, does not mesh with what the TARDIS is supposed to do and what the show has told us over and over again that the TARDIS is supposed to do and that's fine if they're going to do that but the doctor should notice that and he doesn't and so there's a lot lot of inconsistencies like that that were really bugging me and when you say that something about the stakes and the you know the um what what the show was trying to get you to invest in wasn't connecting with you uh what that connects to for me was you know the the biggest fridge moment of all i know we talk about fridge moments on on the podcast every now and again and that's when when Matt Smith as the doctor gives this incredibly impassioned speech there's so many shout outs within the speech to to previous episodes that fans of the classic series like myself i'm sure really enjoyed he's he's giving this really powerful performance he's got a tear streaming down out of his eye you're buying it the music swells and all that but then nothing and comes then nothing of it. happens yeah exactly. okay I, okay I, I that bothered me too and i wasn't sure if as new listeners of the podcast may not know i'm a total doctor who amateur i'm even a little bit antagonistic towards it and uh <laughs> distrustful never. of it <laughs> distrustful of it even and so i wasn't sure if that was a valid complaint or not but i did Absolutely feel valid, like yes yeah he, he he made a huge deal about take my memories and then he still has his memories yeah um yeah so that didn't really make much sense to me and then the the whole uh, solution of uh, Clara offering up the leaf was just it seemed to me like a pretty clear example of the kind of uh, he, I would say using sentimentalism as a crutch mm -hmm. that we've seen in in terms of re resolutions in the recent seasons mm -hmm. uh, is, again is that just me or is that is well, that valid I I actually thought the 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 visual of that worked really well. I think that Jenna Louise Coleman sold the crap out of it. Uh, she you know with her performance, but when I was watching that, I was having trouble just because their explanation wasn't working for me, and it was also yeah. too similar 
to, you know, I, I spoke last week about being frustrated by the fact that Clara doesn't feel like an original character. She feels like a rehash of various characters we've had recently. And this felt like a rehash of the Sleeping Angels, where originally when they're introduced, what they feed on is the potential energy of the future that gets stolen when they send you back into the past. So all the things that could have happened but don't, that's the energy that feeds them. And this was the exact same thing. Again, it was right. all the futures that she didn't get, you know, the future she didn't get with her mom is what was too powerful to, to, to you know, it was able to sate the hunger. For this planet-sized baddie, but not apparently too much for the Stone Angel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, that, you know, that was frustrating me. And I do think that, you know, they want you to, in this episode and in several others this season, and even before, they want you to be f so focused on the emotional impact of what's going on that you just don't pay any attention to them flying through space without any air and their hair is, you know, being blown about in the wind that doesn't exist in the vacuum of space. I mean... They're, these are huge mega nerds that make this show, right? And I, I they, mean, they should know huge mega nerds are watching it. I can't be the only person that that bothered. Look, look, these are things that I didn't even pick up on. You know that I wouldn't pick up on these things <laughs> because I don't look for details like these. I think for me personally, it, it just it felt odd to watch an episode where everyone is so impassioned and the fate of this little galaxy or whatever is supposed to be uh, at is supposed to be there at stake and it's just rests on a few corny plot devices that I didn't really buy into. So for me, it just, it was an admirable effort and it felt more unified to me than the last episode, which was a little bit more all over the place. But I don't think that, I think there was some basic work to be done there that just wasn't, yeah. that, that it, 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 it felt like the, the script needed a few more passes or something. Well, and I do want to mention, um, there, the thing is that there was a lot in it that I did really like. I thought the creature design for the mummy, for example, was awesome. It looked really great. Uh, I, I really liked seeing all these different kinds of aliens. I really liked the, the world felt like it existed. The music, I thought, like, the, the performance of just the one singer when he's speaking, you do not wake up, do not, whatever, that, that song, he yeah. looked terrified. The, you know, things like that, the elements of it really worked for me. I thought the performance of the Queen of Years was really great. Although the market was extremely cantina-y, I will say. It was very cantina-y. That is, that is true. Um, but, I, you know, I'm okay with that every now and again. It's a different feel, yeah. and Doctor Who should be – it should have different feels um, as, as, it, as it goes along, at least in my opinion. But, um, yeah, so there's a lot about this that I really – you know, I, as I get further away from it, I like it more. Um, but I can't let go of some of those so those problems that I was experiencing while I was watching it. So I don't know. I do also agree that it was better than last week. We seem to be the only people who think that, though. I, di I didn't think it was much better. I just it, it just felt like I still wasn't crazy about it, clearly. But it did feel more like a whole story that it was telling more effectively in its mm -hmm. time, in its in its allotted time rather than just sort of a a collection of ideas. Yeah. And next week we have... Uh, the Cold War is the name of the episode, and Davos is is going to be. Yeah, I did notice Liam Cunningham is in there. Yeah, and there's um, there's a pretty cool uh, thing that's happening next week. I don't want to say anything about it in case people don't want to don't know and don't want to be spoiled. So something that's happening next week is is very fun for the classic who geeks out there, and y'all know what I'm talking about, and I'm sure you're all stoked, just as I am. How's that for a tease? 
I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Let's move on to Orphan Black uh, Instinct. We really liked the premiere. What did you think of episode two? Uh, this felt like more of the same to me, which is good. Um, I, I think they're doing a really great job of stringing us along and sort of carefully parceling out information without, you know, give it, giving away too much of the game. I, actually, you know, what's p- people who have seen more than a couple episodes have spoiled me more just from talking on Twitter about the basic concept of the show hmm. than the show itself, which I'm a little bit annoyed about, but uh, I won't say more than that. I think that uh, Tatiana Maslany is doing a really great job in general. I think that so many people would just totally flub the whole multiple iterations thing, and I think she's doing a really great job, and including her, including Sarah's, you know, sort of uh, disbelieving reactions to it. Like she's a soccer mom, really. Like I, little little things like that. I think the show could really use more of because the premise is inherently ridiculous, and they should be having as much fun with that as possible. And I don't know, I, I'm just, I'm generally, it's it's not blowing me away yet, but I'm I'm enjoying this, the many small, smart choices that are being made. Yeah, the, the they're doing such a great job with the way, like you said, that they're parceling out this mystery. But even more than that, I care about Sarah, and I, I care about Beth. And that that's good writing, because <laughs> I, I shouldn't, I really shouldn't care about either of those two outside of those the strong performance if you just gave a brief you know plot synopsis of what was going on or you know the troubled girl decides to run away from her life you know like it it does seem sort of familiar if you take away the the sci-fi twist right um but they've done a really good job of getting you invested in these characters and a big part of that for me actually one of the, my favorite things about this episode was i'm loving fee and uh and and just like his line about um bad architecture making him break out uh was so yeah. wonderful i think they've they've really but, but but he also he feels like a real person and that just shows, you know, the thought they put into it. And not just, like, the wacky gay sidekick, which I think he could easily become. Easily. I think that's a function of good writing and good performance. Yeah. Um, and I also liked that this week they actually made it clear that the show is set in Toronto, which I wasn't really clear about in mm-hmm. the in the premiere because I was confused. Is this Britain <laughs> and everyone's and, like, Canadians are playing British people for some reason. But then I then, then they, they maybe it was already clear in the premiere and I w- wasn't paying enough attention. But here we find out that, no, they're, they immigrated to Canada. And you know, there's even a, a Scarborough mention, which is like, what? That never <laughs> – I'm pretty sure that's the first time in television history that, Scar- that Scarberia has been mentioned. So uh, props to Orphan Black for that. So, yeah, it's a show that's not hiding the fact that it's set in Toronto, which – kind of blows me away especially that it's a genre series because i mean hannibal is shot in toronto but they're it's clearly not set in toronto <laughs> um and, and so many other shows are, are shot here too so i i props to them for that for owning up to its toronto-ness uh but yeah i'm 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 enjoying the show so far and people who have seen more episodes than us cl- claim that it keeps up this level of quality so i'm hey another good genre show prop, pops up out of nowhere i'm a happy camper Absolutely. And uh, it's nice to be in on the ground floor of this one. Yes. And with that, I will transition to our final genre episode this week, which is Spartacus, War of the Damned, the Dead and the Dying. And 
the more that I, I we get towards the finale here, which is next week, the more I wish that I had tried Spartacus when it first started airing. Because when, when I did finally sit down and watch it, I, I really enjoyed the, the pilot. So I was on board from the moment I started watching it. If only I had started watching it when it started airing so I could have had four years of enjoyment of Spartacus rather than just a yeah. year and a half. I don't want it to go. I I wrote a whole piece about why Spartacus is awesome and why it doesn't get enough respect and my theorizing as to why it doesn't get enough respect and it should be up by the time this podcast is up hopefully or before that and I just I've been catching up on the prequel series um, Gods of the Arena and I'm just blown away by it like how the way that Denite and company stepped up and and came up with a solution to their obvious casting issue that enriched their universe rather than just being a cheap stopgap just it blows me away. But that's a topic for the article itself. Um, this episode I didn't think was as as awesome as last week was. I think that it couldn't be just based on the fact that I think it's rather artificially just sort of keep just sort of. More so than any other episode this season, it's just kind of marking time ahead of the epic finale, which we know is going to be the most epic thing in the history of epic things. The most uh, epic, just from, epic to ever yeah, epic? I, 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 the second I was done watching the episode, I had to go look up the promo for next week, and it looks awesome. <laughs> but they even have an extended promo. But um, yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't quite get why at the end of the episode Crassus is like hey we're gonna finally just crush them for all like why didn't he do that several episodes ago if he was able to do that and I get that he they give him a reason this week but I, I don't know it, it all felt a little bit contrived to me and it seems like they're not gonna do the whole Spartacus has a civilized chat with Crassus thing that happened in real life which is kind of too bad yeah yeah I like the way that they play with that though here in that we do get a meeting uh, yes, we have a meeting of sorts, yes. Yeah, and then there's a second one with Caesar. So it does sort of, you know, it, it fits. It manifests in a different way. Yeah, and, but w the thing about this episode is that in a way that most of the other episodes of season have it, this feels very much the show being very aware of where it is. Yeah. And it, they knew that they were going to send out Crixus before the end. And they knew that was going to be a ridiculously awesome episode. And they were going to give him a huge send-off, and it was going to be amazing. And you were right. Akron was not dead. I was wrong. Um, but they also knew that, you know, th that they didn't want the finale to be right after that. They didn't want to have those two sort of competing with each other, and that they wanted to have a little bit of a, a valley between those two peaks. They also knew that in history, thanks to history, that Spartacus had held gladiatorial games with captured Roman soldiers to celebrate the death of Crixus. And that is such a perfect way to call back to this, the history of the show. They Absolutely. know the show's ending. It's one of those things we talk about with Justified, and we will talk about later in the podcast. Justified knowing when it's being awesome and knowing, really, really reveling in that. But there's another dimension to it, too, which I talk about in my in my piece is like there's something really disconcerting about the whole episode because you know that they have literally become what they fought against in a very real way. And it's awesome, but it's also not awesome at the, at the same time. And no one on the show ever acknowledges it, but it's 
it's present in most conscious viewers, I think. And Denite lets that juxtaposition just sit there and no one points it out because why would they? Because they're having an awesome time <laughs> um, because of course they are. And he just lets us take that in and, and, and you know that it's, it's, there's, there's a layer of dramatic irony there that's upsetting, but it's also awesome at the same time. And it's just letting that be. Now here's where, why I don't, that, that doesn't bother me. I don't necessarily agree a hundred percent though. I obviously there, that element is there. This doesn't make them who they're fighting against because they don't enslave anyone. They don't make anybody a slave. They are executing basically prisoners of war. And that's the difference that I see. So they have not become but, slave masters. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that's true because they are, there's, there's a difference between executing people and turning execution into entertainment. Yeah. I think there's, there's a clear difference. Like they are, they are taking sadistic pleasure out of death. And I, and admittedly, they totally have a reason to be doing that. <laughs> totally 100% have great motivation to do that. But there is an equivalency to be drawn. And I think the show is doing that without being explicit about it. Well, and I like that they they make sure with, you know, Sybil is a character where I felt like they, they didn't know quite what to do with her because she seems too delicate to enjoy the games. And so I, I, they it seemed like they were actively not really cutting to her very often. But with Lyta, or Lyta, I, I always forget how to pronounce her name, um, that they do show her actively not enjoying the games. And, and they give her that line of, just because I don't like seeing people chop each other's heads off doesn't mean that I don't value what you're trying to say and the sentiment behind mm -hmm. it. And I thought that was important. Yeah, that's both the closest the show comes to acknowledging that uh, that dynamic at work, and it's a really good character moment that totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the show is really great at honoring those those character moments. And uh, I I have to say, even though it wasn't entirely believable, Agron surviving crucifixion was <laughs> totally badass and yeah. awesome. Yeah, and it's it's just unfortunate that we know that he's not actually going to cut Caesar's head off because. <laughs> For him to be able to honor that promise would have been amazing. Speaking of, we did get a Jack Rubying though, or a Callying. What did you think of how they got rid of Tiberius? Yeah, 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 Callying. Yeah, I, I feel like um, the deaths that people don't deserve is is a real theme this season. You know, mm -hmm. you know, Crixus got, a, you know, di didn't get a, a death worthy of his glorious battles in the past, and Tiberius didn't get a death worthy of what Nevia would have had. And I, I think that's that's a very clear through line. I'd say that uh, Cynthia Day Robinson did a really great job this week. I know that she's been a thorn in some fan side for a long time, but I think that she made the most of a really tricky episode to play. Uh, lots of big emotions, and I think she really sold it. And um, and I and I also want to mention that the actual um, the actual cremation was beautifully staged and shot. Mm -hmm, definitely. Although the head itself, when we saw it, looked horrible. I don't know <laughs> if they could have done something else about that, but it looked really bad. Uh, I do think, you know, in that moment, I wasn't sure what she was going to do. You know, based yeah. on the rules of television, I know what she should theoretically do. What was the, you know, but I would have absolutely bought her decision either way. And I think that goes down to the writing and the performance. And and the same goes for her scene with the guy who went with with the uh, with the woman who ends up killing Tiberius. Like I was I wasn't sure if she was going to just snap and kill her right there or not. Mm -hmm. And again, good writing. Good performing right there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, one week left. Why isn't the finale three hours long? <laughs> I 
I don't know how they're going to handle it, ha- handle the awesome. Um, I And by the way, I think the reason that now he's going to crush them is that with Pompey there, you know, if they were, didn't, weren't sure about the numbers before they just, they have the numbers. There's no way. Yeah. I, I think they could have been more explicit about that this week. Cause it just, the, the, the whole strategizing aspect from Rome's point of view, I don't think has been as clear as maybe it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's it's a really small complaint. This show's just been so awesome, and people haven't been giving it its its proper its proper tribute. And next week we will we will set purpose to task and give it a a warrior's send off yes. as it has always deserved. All yep. hail fucking Spartacus! What's the one thing you want to see in the finale? Oh God! I anything I want to see, I'm sure it's going to deliver. But I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for something other than the show being totally straightforward because I, I, you know, as I'm watching gods of the arena, like they throw in flashbacks, they throw in um, little visual flourishes and things that they don't need to. And I, I would like something other than just a straightforward, you know, glorious battle to the death. Like, I feel like the show needs a little, it needs an X factor, another emotional kick other than just watching our beloved heroes die. And that's it. Like, I th- th- it needs to do something I'm not expecting, basically. <laughs> I'm calling it now somebody's surviving. Don't know who, but they're not all dying in glorious battle. Because, for example, Sybil, why make her a character it, to just have her get, get slaughtered in, in battle? So, that doesn't, it, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. So, I think they've spent enough time on some of these other characters that I don't know who. I would have said Gannicus and Sybil. Uh, riding off into the sunset somehow, but I don't know about him. So I don't know. I think somebody is surviving somehow. Right. Yeah, that's that's probably that's probably true. Uh, but yeah, I'm. I just wish I had a theater to watch it in with a bunch of yeah. people. <laughs> I would <laughs> kill. I would. I would do. I would pay serious money for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to uh, make do with our Spartacus Palooza, which will be our next episode. Uh, yeah. We, we'll we'll have a guest for that. Yeah, and we're we're very excited. If um, if nothing else, just to to have I don't know how we'll keep it to thirty minutes. I don't think we will. It'll probably no, we be a should, long. We'll one. make more time. We'll make we'll, more time. We will find the time to 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 lavish appropriate praise on Spartacus. We will but... have words. <laughs> With that, I, it seems like it's a pretty much a foregone conclusion. Uh, but what is your pick for genre show of the week this week? Spartacus. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that's, that's what I figured. For me as well, Spartacus was, was the highlight. But uh, let's move on to our week in comedy. Then at 3.12, Penny enters, looking gorge, saunters down the aisle as we call once again on the obese Hawaiian ukulele trio for Suddenly Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors. Fat people and tiny instruments. You think they're going to eat them, but then they play them. Yep. Oh, God. It's just like I dreamed. Wait, who's going to walk you down the aisle? You know what? I never even thought about that. You had Jane plan you a backup wedding in an underground bunker just in case North Korea, quote, grew a pair, but you never thought about who's going to walk you down the aisle? So this week we watched in our weekend comedy the pilot to How to Live with Your Parents for the Rest of Your Life, um, two episodes of Mindy Project, My Cool Christian Boyfriend and Pretty Man, Cougar Town, The Criminal Mind, Community, Her Story of Dance, New Girl, First Date, Parks and Rec, Partridge. Uh, happy endings the incident and bros before bros and archer c tunt part one there's no not funny way to say that there is no not funny um, way there uh, as per usual i only saw archer happy endings new girl of and parks and rec i should say uh 
Of those, I actually thought most of them were disappointing. I will say that I thought Archer stepped it up this week, even though structurally it was exactly identical to the first (laughs) part of their two-part finale last season, which was probably deliberate with the introduction of their big guest star, John Hamm, who was totally vocally unrecognizable, by the way. (laughs) So if I hadn't known in advance that it was him, I would have never guessed. But uh, I thought there were so many great gags this week, and I don't think I laughed harder at anything in any medium this week than Krieger's little cameo at the beginning with the blowtorch. <laughs> that was fantastic. And and I love that they're doing such a Cheryl-heavy episode now because it feels like she hasn't gotten a whole lot to do this season. I'm glad that, that, that we're doing that. Although, frankly, having Eugene Merman and Kristen Schaal on as a couple, a little distracting. A <laughs> little bit. And I like this one too, but it did feel like a lot of setup Certain parts of it I thought uh, were entertaining. I, I certainly I was laughing. I, I enjoyed the episode, uh, just like the the werewolf through line and some. Of the, is it really a bad <laughs> thing if Cheryl doesn't have control of, over her money? Probably not. You know that was that was actually pretty fun, as well as yeah. the liberal use of the bar. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot in this episode that I enjoyed, but I would say other episodes this week stood out to me. First, I should mention just because we review all pilots on network uh, on the the main networks here, how to live with your parents for the rest of your life is as bad as everybody else is saying. It's not offensive. It just seems very oddly uh, timed and uh, structured. The, the, when you have this cast, I mean, Sarah Chalk, I really enjoy, and. Um, and Elizabeth Perkins and and Brad Garrett. I mean, when you have this cast, you should be able to do something with it. Also, the premise of, you know, due to the economy or whatever, somebody moving back in with their parents, that's something that so many people are experiencing right now. What is it? Something like um, the last stat I saw was something about at least 25% of, of people getting out of college are living with their parents at, at this point in America, that's a huge number. Well, I, I mean, we've talked before about how more shows need to be responding to the economic crisis in, in a more realistic fashion. So I didn't watch this because I am a person with uh, standards and things to do. <laughs> but it, it seems like it's the sort of premise that should be honored. Yeah, you'd think. But it, it doesn't seem interested in that at all. Instead, it's just... Uh, a very uh, unlikable, pathetic lead, um, very selfish as well. And um, it just, I don't know. I wanted this show to be, you know, to, to be something uh, interesting, you know, a, a new kind of comedic voice or something, at least trying to respond to what's going on for a lot of people in America right now. But no, the, the, the good version of the show was basically um, Ben and Kate, but with, uh, you know, parents instead of siblings. And instead, oh, I it's... miss Ben and Kate, by the way. I miss them so much. I can't wait for those final episodes to air over here. The the UK has already gotten to see them, and I'm, I'm jealous because apparently they're really good. Um, but yes, this is nowhere near as good as it, and I'm sure it's going to come and go really quickly just because it's not remarkable <sighs> in really any way. Yeah. But there was a lot of other really fun comedy this week. I always enjoy the hangout comedies. Before I get to them, though, I should mention Cougar Town. You did a, a John Hughes episode, and you you bungled the ball. It it really was not very good, and I wanted to like it, but it lacked the normal Cougar Town spark. What didn't quite come together at the end, and felt too contrived. Which for Cougar Town is saying something. 
But normally I love that show. I wanted to to mention this week because it didn't really come together. But what I did really like this week was Mindy Project. I've That's become one of the most reliable shows for me. And we don't really talk about it very much because you don't watch it. But um, I, I really like the way that they've handled specifically the Mindy and Danny dynamic on the show. It feels, you know, it's clearly a will they, won't they thing. But when I compare that, you know, with the way that that's being handled with the way that Nick and Jess has been handled on, on um, New Girl, both before now and, you know, what they're, you know, doing now, moving them to the next phase of the relationship. I just, I care way more about Mindy and Danny five years down the road than I do about Nick or Jess. Can we, can we just keep our New Girl talk to one sentence this week? Jess and Nick needs to move the hell on. Needs to just fast forward past this. Yeah, till, yeah, after this happens. And what a waste of the return of, uh, of Russell. I mean, come on. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a waste of everyone's time. But, uh, speaking of wastes of time, uh, well, not so much. That's too harsh, but I'm, I'm really disengaged from Parks and Rec these days. It, this week was, it, it felt like, uh, what was the episode called again? Partridge partridge uh it, it it felt like the show almost deliberately playing against its own strengths um the, this notion like whenever they have leslie in this adversarial position it's just awkward and like you know you want to see leslie be a good person and be nice and then when she's it sort of highlights uh a, a thing that happens in real life where people couple up and then they're they become a unit and therefore adversarial against things that exist outside their own bubble which is, it's true, it's a thing that happens, but here, seeing them against this other town, which is actually very much, you know, you can imagine their own universe being rather Pawnee-like, you know, you can imagine J.K. Simmons on his own little spinoff <laughs> as, as as the mayor, and then to have her being like, your town sucks, and just being all adversarial, and I don't know, it just made me uncomfortable and wasn't funny. Yeah, I forgot I had watched this episode, and even forgot that it had aired and was not quite sure if, if I had just written down the week wrong. And that tells you something because normally Parks and Rec is one of our favorite things, or at least in past seasons, it, it used seasons to be, it has been. Yeah. Um, even the, the subplot, I mean, I'm all for council, uh, councilman jam getting jammed himself and, uh, and, and for, you know, giving some of these characters more to do, but I don't know. I, it was an off week for, for me. However, I did very much enjoy happy endings and I thought Andy Richter coming in as Penny's dad was, was pretty great. Happy endings was okay. I didn't think either episode was as good as the second episode we got last week. I did think the second episode this week, which had Andy Richter was the better one. It's nice to see them. Go it's always interesting to watch a show like happy endings toy with more, with recognizable human emotion because it's so uh shticky and in a good way usually and so broadly comic and so hangouty and so to actually try to do that is admirable for them um the i i did really enjoy it. for some reason the music stood out to, to me this week because there was even uh it, it shared with archer this this through line of dramatic music cues which <laughs> i'm sure you enjoyed on archer the damn you john williams um <laughs> I'm sure you enjoyed, um, but yeah, it, it almost felt community e like old school community um, in terms of the use of music and sort of formal playfulness. But yeah, I didn't think either episode was as good as the second one we got last week to make a long ramble short. So this week for you, it's pretty straightforward. Archer? It's got to be Archer, yeah. And I'm comedy. really excited for part two and more of whatever the hell John Hamm's doing with his voice. 
Um, I guess I'll give it to the one-two punch of, of Mindy. Um, yeah, probably Pretty Man I liked a little better. So I'll, I'll give it to that. But I did, you know, I, I always enjoyed the Hangout comedy, so I had a little bit more fun than you did, it sounds. But let's move on to, uh, there weren't as many dramas this week, but there's still plenty to talk about. So let's move on to our weekend drama. You're scared, I know. I would be too. Because I've got you in my soft mouth. And you're not dead. Not yet. Maybe you think you can run when I drop you at my master's feet. And maybe you can. Maybe you will. But the thing is, you have my partner. If you don't tell me where he is, you will never get dropped at my master's feet. My bite will go hard. And you will know you are dead before your heart stops beating. (laughs) Our final segment of our week in TV is our week in drama, and there was uh, a lot of interesting things, a lot of premieres this week. We had, of course, the Justified Season 4 finale, Ghosts. We'll talk about that with the rest of our Justified Season 4 spotlight at the end of the episode. So instead, we're going to go to Top of the Lake, Episode 5, which had... Oh, man, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoiling you at all. It had... um, I really appreciated the way that it's opened the episode with with um, Jono and and Robin, their conversation. I thought that that was, you know, I'm really glad that they didn't put that off. There are a couple decisions in this episode that really made me happy as a viewer and as a critic. It was lovely to see Lucy Lawless, however briefly. I, I was one of those. Is that yes, it is because I, I enjoy her very much. So that was that was a pleasant surprise and. I am now very, very excited to see um, what's going to happen in in the final two parts, which are airing all next Monday. Bear in mind that the awesome opening scenes that we get on top of the lake probably used to be awesome closing scenes. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't. This one doesn't feel like a closing scene, but um, I don't know. I I can't. I can't say anything else because it's spoilery. For anyone who's confused, I'm referring to the fact that the show is apparently re-edited from six parts to seven. Yeah. Which is very confusing to me. Yeah. And part of why writing weekly reviews of it would seem kind of strange, because that is not originally how it was intended to be viewed. So, anyways, we'll we'll talk about it more next week. Let's move on to our next entry in the Prestige Dramas, which is the pilot for Hannibal, Aperitif. And I really liked this episode. You weren't as as sold, I gathered, from Twitter. Uh... It's it's really hard. I love Brian Fuller. I think he's great. I think that this is way better than it should be and probably as good as it can be. I think uh, Hugh Dancy is fantastic in what actually is the main role, despite the name of the show. Um, I think the cinematography is beautiful. It was directed by David Slade, who d- does a similarly great job as he did with the pilot for a week. It very much fits his sort of chilly, slick aesthetic. And he but, should direct all the TV, by the and, way. And and he should direct all the TV. Yes. Um. And and but well, you sh- you should watch Hard Candy sometime if you haven't, Kate. Um. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I just I'm I can't escape the fact that it basically amounts to another show featuring a uh, a socially awkward but otherwise totally brilliant investigator who is going after serial killers and also one of our main characters is, is a serial killer brutal crimes co- the word copycat 
It's just like, the, it feels 10 years too late. And like I said, I, I can acknowledge while I'm watching it that it's clearly well made, very well written for the most part, extremely well acted. It just doesn't really do much for me. Well, of course, listeners to the Televerse, uh, longer term listeners will know just how much I, I loved the following pilot back when I watched it at, at Comic-Con. Um, I, I, I was just anticipating our spotlight of shame for like half a year for for that one. Um, and, and so I, I wasn't, you know, and then we watched the Base Motel uh, pilot, which, you know, ties in with this somewhat in that it was also a prequel in a sense, but also kind of not with its setting and everything. Um, and I... I wasn't really looking forward to this one, despite the fact that it's Brian Fuller. I love Brian Fuller. I really like the cast. And, um, and, and I want to support a Brian Fuller show just because of the, the premise and, you know, that I wasn't really interested in, in an, another Hannibal Lecter, another serial killer show, any of that. And then based on the criticism, I started to get more excited and I was very, very pleasantly surprised with, with the pilot. I thought it was great. And the difference for me with, between you know this you know kind of socially awkward male lead is that this one actually feels legit this one doesn't feel like he has a uh just enough of a quirk that they can sell him as a usa lead and uh, not enough of a quirk that it would actually impact his life in any sort of way and um we'll see how that is is managed going forward but i like that this does seem to to fully understand the 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 cost of violence, the cost of being in this world and being surrounded by this kind of darkness and just the, the restraint shown in this pilot, just everything is through all, all the, the, the worst moments the most, uh, stomach churning or, or difficult, you know, to watch skin crawly moments are all completely there based on imagination. It's, it's all inferred. It's all, uh, them just sort of, teasing the audience and letting the audience make certain connections, especially with Hannibal and anytime he has food, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I really like this pilot and I will definitely be back for more. All right. Uh, I, I mean, I'm really torn. I don't, I'll, I'll see how I feel when the next episodes air. Uh, it didn't do very well, which isn't surprising because it's NBC and NBC doesn't do well anymore. Uh, but it did get twice the number of do no harm, which it's, you know, clearly much better than, thankfully. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm kind of rooting for it and kind of not at the same time. I'm I'm very conflicted on Hannibal, but I can definitely acknowledge that nothing you say is incorrect. Well, and it's just, it's such a, it's, I mean, even if it's, you're not interested in the premise or, you know, it's, it's just, it's a very well-made show. It's well-acted. It's well-written. It's well-produced. It's gorgeous to look at. And when you look at the different shows that have been in that time slot, I, I'm rooting for Hannibal, even if I didn't, you know, even if I didn't want to watch a serial killer show, I would be rooting for it just because it's so much better than The Firm or Do No Harm. It's good television, even if it's not, you know, I, I'm curious what you think about this. For me, it's even if it's not for me, I will always be far more interested in seeing quality television succeed than anything else yeah it's definitely true and and the the fact that at least for now the following is watched by many more people is a little bit stomach turning it's pretty depressing but i'm hoping i i'm really hoping that the ratings at least hold even if not go up this week because it has gotten almost universal praise critically and there's been a lot of positive buzz online so i'm hoping that maybe there'll be something positive that happens with it i don't know we'll see Yes, well, and as we all know, the, the rating system isn't perfect. <laughs>
let's say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The next show that we're going to talk about is The Americans Safe House, which is back after having a week off. And man, uh, Noah Emmerich. Yeah, Noah, Noah Emmerich breaks bad this week. Uh, it was good. It was a good episode. It was interesting to see. I'm, I'm actually I'm glad that they actually went ahead with sort of the trial separation uh, move, which would not have even occurred to me as an option when the show first premiered. So that means that they are, you know, they're they're making smart choices that we don't see coming, which is good, or at least don't see coming as of a couple weeks ago. Um, I, there, I'm not totally convinced that the whole plot with, uh, with Emmerich's partner who is jealous and then has to be killed off, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if that really interests me as like, as a season twist. I, it feels a little bit more, feels like a, sort of more of a common twist than I was hoping for and sort of less, less period specific, less, uh, less individual than what, what than the other sort of plot motions we've gotten from the Americans in this first season. I, I think it's well executed, and I think Emmerich is great, but I don't know. I'm 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 not totally sold on that yet. I, I'm I'm hoping they'll take it somewhere I haven't seen before. Yeah, I think um, I see what you're saying, but I kept expecting them to somehow not kill him. I was expecting that they like drop him at a hospital or I don't know but why I was thinking they were going to do something like that. But I, I what, really like, didn't oh, think like they he was going to have like a like he was going to get a coconut on the head and and not be able to remember their faces or whatever. Or, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I did not expect that they were going to kill off one of the primary secondary characters this early in this in the show's run. And I think um Aside from the strength of the performances, which I thought were fantastic, and just it's nice that sometimes it's just a wrong place, wrong time situation, like it is um, in in this episode, where it's just jealous ex boyfriend, you know, makes a boneheaded move and then it messes everything up. I think what's going to be interesting to see is how this affects um, Stan moving forward, and and we see him draw a line, and when cho- between choosing between his his asset who he's emotionally and physically involved with and his partner, he like that chooses his partner and uh, is ready to just serve her up. And so I, I'm assuming we're going to see more coming from that, that this is going to really uh, galvanize his, his, uh, his approach and his, his stance on the, 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 the struggle with Russia, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that my favorite through line on the Americans is watching the Russians and or the Americans just be totally wrong about mm-hmm. why why things are happening, who's doing it, uh, either overthinking it or underthinking. Usually, overthinking it, actually, almost always overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is is fascinating and something we don't get in shows of this nature enough because I feel like that probably happens much more than we like to think. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's got to. They're 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 still people. They're very brilliant people, but they're still people. So. Yeah, that I I would agree. I I was missing Granny a little bit this week. I thought that I don't know where she would have fit in, but I'm hoping that we'll get some of her next week. Yeah, she was busy on New Girl, probably. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to our final show of of our of the week, which is of course the two hour premiere of Mad Men: The Doorway. Uh, you know, I I love Mad Men. I think uh, last season was clearly one of its best. I'm not. I think you and I are not necessarily in agreement with the rest of the internet on this being among Mad Men's finest hours. I do think it had a lot of good stuff, uh, but I think it had too much of everything. I don't think that the. 
I think that the double length format worked better for the last season's premiere than for this one. And in general, I don't think it's all that good an idea for Mad Men to do, uh, which seems strange because the, it's so cinematic and so beautiful to look at and uh, so well written. You'd think it would do better in this sort of format. But I actually found that 93 minutes, as it turned out, of Matthew Weiner bleeding on with his characters about death and mortality was just a little bit too much for me um, and a, a, and way too on the nose for a show like this. Uh, that being said, I, there, there was a lot of stuff that I liked. I really liked uh, Roger Sterling's plotline this week with his, uh, with his mother's death and the actually, I thought, really, really funny funeral sequence. Um, and uh, I actually did buy his sort of his defensiveness through humor and then his ultimate, you know, moment of realizing that he wasn't just a, just a totally cold hearted bastard. Um, these, these are the things that I, I think it sold well. The, uh, I, I also, I mean, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna be forever the biggest Betty defender. And actually, not just, not just defender, but actually fan, uh, on the, on the internet or anywhere else. And I really liked the material she got this week and sort of, sort of going on, going on a, a, a little, uh, bohemian adventure, I guess you could say. And I don't know how much we're going to see her this season, but I I've liked basically all of her scenes. Yeah, with with Betty, I I thought I felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect between rapey Betty and <laughs> Bohemian Betty. I feel like those, I feel like maybe those are different action figures for her. Um, they they didn't necessarily feel connected. I'm not sure that Matthew Weiner knows. I feel like Matthew Weiner really knows some of these characters very very well. And then there are others where I'm not sure he's as certain of what he's doing with them, you know, or maybe he's falling, going by instinct more. And, and so then, you know, Betty's one of those characters for me where sometimes she, she's great and sometimes she doesn't really work as well. But I was very glad to see, I, I enjoyed most of her, her scenes this week. I was very glad to see that she isn't just insty thin again. She's, she looked at least to me like she was down somewhat in weight, like they're trying to like, back that off and that over time i mean these mad men episodes off the seasons often take quite a bit of you know span of time so i wouldn't be surprised to see her back down to a much more january jones kind of weight by the end of the season but i this felt more true to the character and um it's, it's very nice to see betty actually kind of happy um and, and much more happy than she was last season and that that i actually very much enjoyed that yeah, I'm I'm willing for now to chalk up her slightly schizophrenic behavior to the fact that she's kind of semi-contented some of the time, which I don't think we've ever seen from her. Really, uh, may, maybe maybe in the show's very early run, I don't really remember. It was so long ago. Um, but or maybe when she was shooting things. But um, yeah, it's I I I feel like she doesn't really know who she is when she's happy, and so it at least that's that's what i feel like watching those scenes i don't know if that's what we're supposed to take from that or not but the fact just the fact that there's ambiguity there i think makes her a worthwhile character but uh, other than that i don't know i mean the uh, like i said my main issue is just i don't think that as 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 movie like as the show can be as cinematic as it can be i actually think the episodic the standard episodic format actually suits mad men really well it's not a show i ever feel the need to marathon mm -hmm. or 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 i'm frustrated when it's over 
and think, oh, I must do the next thing. Like, no, it's it's it it has a relatively casual pace and it's suited to its usual format better than this one, I think. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I wasn't a big fan of this episode, and um, I wasn't very at the end of it. I wasn't very thrilled to have Mad Men back. Even uh, I very much enjoyed m- most of of the like the individual scenes. I I thought uh, I loved having Peggy on the phone with Stan. I thought that was great. But at a certain point, I you know, and I did, I really, really enjoyed season five. But at a certain point, all the characters not changing do, ceases to be interesting to me. And watching uh, Don just be depressed and and uh, making the same mistakes and wanting to just die again just does isn't interesting to me. Watching Roger bemoan the fact that he's pushed away all the women in his life is less interesting to me. It, it would be interesting if it seemed like there was any chance he was going to change or that he had any recognition that the reason that his daughter does, he does not have a real relationship with her is because of his actions as well as her decisions. If, if there's any sort of, you know, sense that maybe we're not just going to get these same stories over and over again, then I would, I think be more invested. I, I don't know. I guess. And I'm also just thinking compared with justified, which ended, ended this week as well. I, I care way more about the characters on Justified. I don't care about most of the people on Mad Men. And the ones I do, many of them weren't really featured this week, such as Joan. Yeah, we need, I can't believe we had 93 minutes of Mad Men and we got like two lines from Joan. That was that was disappointing. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I see where you're coming from. I don't think Don is the most interesting character on the show anymore, if he ever was. And... Uh, but but I but I do think that part of the joy of Mad Men is isn't necessarily watching people change, but watch them react to change and watch see them readjust to new circumstances. And we don't get to do that yet because nothing's really happened this season yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, like as with Game of Thrones, even we're just getting caught up to whatever year this is supposed to be now, which I couldn't quite figure out. Yeah. Oh, but you better not say ahead of time because that would ruin the episode. <laughs> yes. Right. Well. Yes. <laughs> Uh, no, no, we won't be talking about that today, but certainly Matthew <laughs> Weiner's uh, sense of restriction of the press has been uh, the subject of some dispute. Anyway, um, so it, it, has it been confirmed that this is the penultimate season, or did I imagine that? All the contracts and everything, theoretically, it's supposed to end after next season. That's when all the contracts run out, Matthew Weiner's contract, that's what you know they negotiated. It's kind of assumed that there have been statements in the press that make it seem like that's the plan to end after next season, but it hasn't been officially announced that way. So they could always change their mind. Yeah, it it does. But doesn't this premiere feel to you like the first episode of a final season? I kind of hope so, based on that. I mean, it is such a it's a really great show. Um, I just it's not as fun for me to live in right now. So that that world and I do think the double episode didn't help. But when I contrast that with. When I contrast that with the season premiere last year, I really enjoyed the season five premiere. I was energized to watch the season. I was excited to see what was going to happen next. And that's not what I, I was getting here. Fair enough. Um, I guess, well, I, I, I'm positive we're going to get better things. I mean, just remember that stellar run of episodes in the oh, middle yeah. of last season, which was just unbelievable. We'll be getting some good stuff, uh, even if we're not necessarily totally enthused at the moment. And I have to mention also, I love... I, I I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but I love the next week on Mad Men uh, <laughs> promos because they're so hilariously cryptic, and they must have an absolute blast editing them. Oh, I'm sure they they do take cryptic to a kind of new level, don't they? Yeah, it's mostly just people people reacting to stuff like, "What? Who are you? Where am I?" It's just like 
I I don't know what you're talking about. It is just various characters. You have no idea even what space they're in. It's mm-hmm. I kind of wish they did that for every show now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's fun. It l- at least lets you know that hopefully these characters will be featured next week. So that's something, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it is. I, I can see a group of people having fun just trying to screw with the the viewers somewhat with, with those. It's Yeah, it is definitely a Mad Men specific kind of preview but so what's your pick for the our week in drama which one won this week well it probably would have been top of the lake if i'd seen it in time but uh, i guess uh not counting justify which is in the spotlight which is all which probably also would have taken it let's go with uh, i'll go with mad men just because it is nice to have them back. Okay, okay. I'm going to give it to Hannibal, I think, just for... The, it was very refreshing, and I wasn't necessarily expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. But, uh, yeah, it was a it was a good week. Not quite this stellar, maybe, as it has been in the past couple, but uh, I think there's good stuff coming for us in the next few weeks as well. So I'm looking forward to that. But let's get into a few show notes here before we go to our our season spotlight on Justified Season 4 with Dan Frisella from TV Fanatic. Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. We're up in iTunes with an M4A feed as well as an MP3 feed. Please leave us a rating or a review there. We'd very much appreciate hearing from you. You can also write us at televerse at gmail.com or, or reach us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are... I'm at Sucker Howl. And you can, of course, like us on Facebook and follow us there. I've been a little behind on the Facebook page. I apologize for that, but I will get back on that. It's We update it with the, the different reviews that are happening in the TV section at Sound on Sight, as well as, of course, our podcast. I'm thinking I'm going to need to put a poll on there as well. Maybe, maybe I'll uh, throw it out to the viewers to let you guys pick something that I watch each week, but... I haven't quite decided yet. I'll, feel, I'll I'll let you know. You can follow us on the on Facebook and find out what I what I come up with. But what should our question of the week be? I was hoping you were going to forget to do that this week because nope. I, I I've got nothing. Um, s- since Spartacus is ending and I don't know anyone who watches it except for you, uh, <laughs> I I guess I should throw out you know after since it's ending this week and I'm wondering if people are planning to check it out on DVD after its run is over, um, and if not. Why not? Why why doesn't it interest you? What what turned you off about it in the first place? Because uh, I want to tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> it does feel like, um, yeah, I feel like more people should be watching Spartacus. So if you're not, and we have you know, a very intelligent listener base, at least the people that we've heard from, love hearing from you guys. Let us know why, why it didn't work for you, why you haven't engaged with it. Or if you just don't get stars, that's another reason too. So let us know. Yeah, true. Good question. For now, let's take a little break, listen to some music and a clip, and come back with Dan Frisella of TV Fanatic to talk Justified Season 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So many false prophets have gone out into the world. Been investigated so many times, internal affairs got him on speed dial. It's a gift. Maybe so much as flinch. We're going to put you down. Don't matter to me. There ain't no salvation for people like us. You think you get all your turmoil from me? It's a war. Could be some gunplay involved. On this lonely road, trying to make it home, doing it by my own, some pissed off flows. So I'm fighting for my soul. God, get at you, boy. You try to go far, fall back, I go hard. On this lonely road, trying to make it home, doing it by my own, some pissed off flows. 
back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week we're skipping the DVD shelf because it's time to talk Justified Season 4. And here to help us with that from TVFanatic.com is Dan Frisella. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Justified, best thing or bestest thing? Uh, bestest. It's, I mean, since season one, since the end of season one, I feel like it has been for me the best drama on television, um, season after season. And this, surprisingly, season four didn't stop that after how good two and three were. Um, I thought season four was, was right up there with some of the best. Yeah, at the beginning of the season, I remember, you know, because, of course, I, we always enjoy uh, Justified on the Televerse because even when it's a less mind-explodingly awesome episode, it's always really character-driven, very intelligently written. They have such wonderful performers on that show. So it's always a well-crafted uh, and executed show. I wasn't sure if if this season was going to be able to reach anywhere near the heights of season two and three, like you said, Dan. But then uh, Decoy happened. And it's probably one of the best episodes the show's ever done. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's funny because it, as you know, I, I have to, I review the show week by week, and and as the episodes went on in the beginning, the first three were good or whatever. There was maybe a little bit of a lull, um, and you're thinking, well, yeah, this isn't this isn't up to par. This isn't as good as three was. It's definitely not as good as two was. But then you get to the end, you have some of these episodes like Decoy, and you f have this fantastic finale that was unlike anything it's done before for a finale and you finish the seeds and you're like wow was this not as good because it certainly seems like it was fantastic by the time the thing ended i feel like that's the trick of justified is i also review it on a week-to-week -week basis and it's so hard to I, I can't even think about ranking the seasons right now because what's amazing about it is every season has been different like not just a little bit different but actually quite different Mm -hmm. uh, even like if you think about the format of season one, that's totally unlike everything they've done. It was almost entirely standalones. Uh, you know, season two with its sort of macabre, you know, family drama, and then sort of more of a careening mob story in season three, and then of course something totally different this season. And um, you know, reading the the you know, sort of what Graham Yost has had to say since this finale aired, it's clear that they don't have a plan for. <laughs> What they're doing next year, they're going to sit down and work it out. And I, I think the, 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 the writing process for the show is just so vastly different from everything else on television. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that it's uh, informed quite a lot by Timothy Oliphant's experiences on Deadwood, mm -hmm. um, which, of course, you know, people were getting pages minutes or hours before things were going to be shot. And apparently that's how things work here. That sense of spontaneity. I think extends to the form of the seasons themselves and you, you don't really know what they're doing anymore until it's over. And, uh, that, that makes the, the, the writing week to week a little bit tricky, although not as tricky as with something like game of Thrones, uh, because there's this great balance of pay little, little mini payoffs, great bits of dialogue, bit, bit players, et cetera, in each episode. But it's not until the season's over, you know, and we get, for instance, the twin scenes of Boyd in the house that he no longer gets to ha share with his wife and Raylan looking over the family plot one more time, you know, that's when everything snaps into focus for good. And in a, in a same way, I guess the, the, that also happened last season with uh, with that last scene between Raylan and Winona. But I think it happened this, this week in a different way. And I, I was surprised at how low-key a finale it was. And you're right, they've never done anything like that. Uh, where all the action beats are really just in that first 10 minutes. 
There have been a bunch of really interesting and fun articles in, over the past week that have gone out talking about, well, of course, you know, Gramiost always does, I believe it was a Sepinal, right? He sort of gives his take on each episode and the, the process was like writing it. So there's that. But then also, I think it's at what, at Huffington Post, um, there there's a, a write-up about somebody who had been on set and, you know, shooting mm-hmm. with, uh, talking with Michael Malley. And so, that was at Vulture, actually. That's at Vulture. Thank you. Um, I want to give proper credit there. But it was really interesting because just watching, you know, reading that article and finding out that they completely rewrote the backstory of Tobolowski and uh, Michael Malley's characters, like maybe hours beforehand. It's just, that's such a wonderful moment from earlier in the season. It tells us so much about both of those characters and makes them both so much more interesting that I'm, I'm just so grateful that, that I guess, you know, and I do think this goes back to Deadwood that, that Tim, the elephant has as much sway on the show as he does. And that everybody's really willing to go with such a bizarre approach. Yeah. How great was that scene though? Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike O'Malley has been the secret weapon. I think of the whole back half of the season, like, I didn't like I I hadn't watched Glee in a long time, so I'd forgotten who he even like. I, I remembered after I made the connection. Oh yeah, yeah, he was Kurt's dad on Glee. He was great, but I did, never thought of him after that. And then when he showed up here again, it kind of seemed like he just had a small role, and then he ended up sort of being the secret big bad of the season. And he was so good. He was very good. It's surprisingly, seeing is that every time I see him on screen, I just think global guts. <laughs> but um. Yeah, he was he was fantastic, and, and especially in that scene in the limo, just waiting to see what was he what he was gonna do, and then realizing that yeah, he didn't have a gun on him, and he was willing to to play that out, knowing that Raylan wasn't gonna do anything about it, but then eventually he he did it in another way. Well, and it, you know we expect this is such a deep bench right the cast on unjustified is ridiculous we talk about it all the time whether the good wife or or justified has a better roster of guest cast because they're both so amazing but we expect you know amazing tiny performances or, or um, underappreciated performances from jim beaver from some of these other people that they've peopled the world with uh, i don't know that we is as great as as michael malley is and um, as much as i've enjoyed his previous work i don't know that we expect that as much from him as from some of these other people um and so that was such a such a wonderful surprise but i think one of the other big surprises for me this season sort of because of you know our history watching the show and what the producers say every season is that they actually finally did give Tim and Rachel stuff to do this year and it was great. Yeah, well, especially Tim. Like I'm not sure Rachel got that much more to do than usual. Like she got she got a couple episodes early on where she got to really kick some ass. Well, and she got was... a lot more character development. She has grown as a character over the course of this season and uh really developed her that, that character has a very different personality by the end, and I guess that's yeah. what I'm queuing into. Yeah, but certainly the, the the Tim stuff was so good. Yeah, not nearly as much as Tim. Tim got basically, he got himself an entire arc over certain, you know, three, four, five episodes and dealing with his friend and then his relationship with Colt and how that all played out, ending with the circling of the wagons and, and that tremendous conversation, hilarious conversation that they had with each other. Um, I thought... They, what they were able to do with Tim in this season was fantastic, and I think they need to go one step further and do that with, with uh, Rachel next season. I think that would be awesome. Does anybody think they're uh, setting up Rachel uh, potentially for either some sort of a relationship with Raylan or maybe a Raylan-inspired in, in, uh, fall? Because she's getting along with him a little too good, probably for her <laughs> own you know, best interests. <laughs> 
I hope not. I, 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 I think that the idea of Raylan influencing his coworkers so that they maybe become more Raylan-like, which I think happened actually with both Tim and Rachel, mm-hmm. is interesting. I, I hope that they don't take that in that sort of direction. I, I just think in general, I, I, I would think that their efforts to broaden those roles and to make them and sort of beef them up and give them more to do, I think that's based on... You know, A, the fact that it's so obviously Raylan's show and he's such a larger-than-life personality and sort of finding room for them is is difficult. And also, I think the previous efforts to give them more to do, I think they know they weren't great, like that episode in season two oh, with God. Rachel's brother. Oh, God. Let's not brother, talk about it. That was yeah. just terrible. Um, which, yeah, was – I mean, even that had some good stuff if you actually if you actually think back and or, and or rewatch it, which I probably won't. Uh, but – I think they must know like that these these are some very self-aware writers and and creative people who seem to have a really good grasp on when they when on what works and what doesn't and I think they know that that episode wasn't great and I I think that they they really want to avoid uh, any more duff experiences like that well, and that's one of the things I find most interesting about this season, and I'm so glad, Simon, you said that we're not going to rank the seasons, because I was, I was getting nervous about that <laughs> before we started recording. I was like, I don't know how I could rank them, because they are so different tonally. But what I find interesting is that some of the things that are the biggest strengths of this season, uh, or they're so different than what were the strengths in the other seasons. So while you, you don't have anybody this season that I think, I, I don't know if the show will ever, ever have somebody who quite lives up to Mags Bennett. You also, if you look at season two, there's so many issues with, with Winona and Ava and then Tim and Rachel are non-existent in that season. I, I find it interesting the way that they, they really do have each season, not only just a different tonal style, but com- completely different strengths and weaknesses. And I guess that goes along with such a different approach. Yeah. Again, ranking the seasons is is impossible at this point. And I, I, I do think that initially I wasn't, I really wasn't sure about this whole mystery angle and like I, I could, I could see they were doing something different and I appreciated that, but I wasn't sure it was a good call necessarily. Like I think I, I thought maybe the season would end up being sort of a noble, but failed experiment. But I think the, the, the smartest thing that they did was making Shelby Drew Thompson, which was a, which was a move that was, it, it was fairly obvious midway through the season that that was what they were going to do. Um, even the, even if it shouldn't have been obvious to the characters, which is what should be happening. Um, and it, what I find funny is that they didn't figure that out themselves until mm-hmm. I think episode four or five in the writers room. They, they were they, you know they were they were thinking of different options for that, I guess. And then and then they thought, okay, well, could Shelby be Drew Thompson? And then they went back and looked at the scenes he'd already had, and would that contradict anything? And no, all right, let's go with that because there is no better possible choice for that in terms of choosing an actor who gets suddenly a lot more to do. Uh, you really can't go wrong with Jim Beaver. I think going back to not being able to rank the seasons, I think that with this season, as we talked about how, how perfectly it played itself out by the end of it, I think that also harkens back to the fact that when we were watching along the way, some of the episodes might not have worked as well episodically as some things in seasons two and three. But at the end of the day, you know, you gotta, you, you have to think about it. Well, what is more important watching it, you know, being much more entertained week by week or having just such a perfectly laid plan to whereas the, at the end, you're thinking, wow, that was fantastic. And I think this, this season might not have entertained me as much week by week, 
stemming from the the kind of dragging of the the mystery but i think at the end of the day like you said it's hard to pick um of the seasons you know on their on their own well if we're going to talk about the finale one of the things that we have to mention um just because i don't know how many more opportunities we will get to mention this character and this actor is uh, winona and natalie zaya because uh, I was watching this finale with my sister, and when when Winona you know picks up a gun and is kicking ass right along with Raylan, she was very surprised and happy, pleasantly surprised. And I, and I said, turned to her and said, "What does she look like? An asshole?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that they 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 chose to go this direction with Winona. They have an easy reason for her to not be around next year because unfortunately people keep watching the following and um and i was i you know we we speculated last week that this wasn't the kind of show to kill uh, a pregnant woman and a baby and i i'm glad that it's that it's that it's not but you know just the way that that this episode the finale handles her character and that relationship and of course in the way that that parallels with Boyd and Ava, who we haven't even really talked about yet, I think it's just so wonderfully handled. And I'm, I'm going to miss Winona. I'm curious what you guys think they're going to have to do next year with, with Ava in jail. I mean, she's going to obviously have some sort of a presence next year. That seems obvious just because the rule of there need to be female characters on this show. Um, I'm curious what you guys think they'll you know, have, have to work with next year. I really don't know. I mean, I don't think that they're going to cheat their way out of her going to jail. I think in in one way or another, she should spend and she will spend the majority of the time away from our characters. And and I don't know whether that means that more like they did at the beginning of this season when Arlo was in prison, more characters from the prison maybe come alive or um, or they find ways for people to get there, our, Raylan and Boyd or other people to get there to interact with her. Because if if some for some reason she were just to to not to you know, some them to figure out some way to get her out. I think that would kind of be a cheat. Well, that's what I'm concerned about. You know, it's now that Boyd has these Detroit connections, which, by the way, I'm assuming means lots more Jerry Burns next season. Which, yes, please, <laughs> let's do that. Um, I'm worried that that just means he'll get a top shelf lawyer, who again, I would, I'm assuming, would be a fun character as well, but still, and just get her out quickly and sort of get rid of that too quickly, which was, which I, which I think would undermine what we've already seen. I don't think they're going to do that, but I am worried about it. I do think though, that if they do stick Ava in prison, justified could do some really interesting stuff with a women's prison. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first thing that popped into my mind with that was, um, and Sam, maybe, you know, the, what's the name of like women in chains or something. What's that exploitation film that everybody always references? Uh, which one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I could see the... Women the, in cages, you mean? Yeah, I could see the producers having some fun with some of that for part of an episode or something, or at least at least getting some good references, like jokes in there. Um, and also, I mean, as much as I... You know, that's that final... That goodbye was so effective between Joel Carter and, and, um, and Walton Goggins, but the other thing that that gives us for next year is that gives us a Boyd who is really, really pissed at Sam Anderson... And, um, yeah, that could be fun. That could definitely be fun next year. Yep. <laughs> Going back to the final shots of the episode, it's, I, I, I know for some, some people had issues with it and they weren't as happy with the, this choice, but I still keep coming back to one of my favorite moments of the entire season was the decision to have Arlo die off screen. 
And that I thought it was really interesting. And, and it's one of those things where when you have the perspective of having seen the rest of the season, you look back on it and, well, of course it was, uh, this is what they were going for all season. But this, this story of Raylan and Boyd as, as, as the two sons of Arlo and what that means for their futures and their, you know, and, and their paths, I think has been really quite interesting. And, um, I don't know. I'm, I, I look forward to, to what next season will bring, but I also am kind of, you know, curious just how much now that Raylan doesn't have any immediate family, unless we start to meet, you know, more of his kin, like we did this year. Um, I'm curious how how well that will be that will be sustained. Do you think that he's going to move into the house? I I think that would be a very justified thing to happen, um, especially with the last scene we get with him. You know, sort of looking over the family plot. By the way, we haven't even mentioned the fact that we got "You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive" back this season, which I get why they didn't use it last season because it didn't necessarily make sense, but it was still really great to have. I, I'm just I'm just really pleased with everything they did with Arlo over the last couple of seasons. Everything from the dementia to his their decision to just stick with him being an absolute bastard uh, to the dying off screen to Raylan at, at, at his grave. I, I think that they made every choice right there. And I and that was one of the apparently one of the greatest sources of uh, consternation for them is you know how how you know do we kill off Arlo now and th- that was even a, uh, they were even uh, in talks with uh, with John Landgraf head of FX over that you know is this something you really want to do and I think they absolutely chose the right time for it to happen and the right way. I mean, how many other shows would not once give him any redeeming quality? Not once and and go all the way up until his death and just killing him outright like that. I mean that's it's. It's very, it's justified. It's what they, what's what, what they do, but it's still very bold. Yeah, and it, and if he did get any redeeming qualities, it was only after death, you know, in those stories that he was getting from people. And even then, if you really think about it, none of them make him any less of a bastard. They're, <laughs> they just, you know, be, you know, Raylan being the the champion of the underdog that he is, he can't help but sort of put himself in his dad's shoes and think, okay, well, I can see why he would have done those things. Kind of. Yeah, and uh, connect again, connecting in with Shelby there, and uh, or Drew Thompson giving him that connection with Arlo, which at the t- when I was first watching it, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't big on that decision. It didn't really work for me. So I had to kind of figure it out. I didn't get that uh, Drew Thompson had like happened because I I got the I had gotten the sense that he had just happened to land, you know, jump out of the plane and land there, and he just kind of stayed where he landed. As opposed to, you know, he traveled specifically to Harlan to find Arlo. And um, and so that, at first it didn't quite work for me, but because it did give us so much about Arlo, and which and then by extension, Raylan, I, I do think that actually worked. One of the, the things about the season, though, that was a little bit of a disappointment for me, as much as I did do agree that the correct choice was to make Shelby or Thompson or Thompson Shelby or <laughs> however you want to phrase it, is I do think that they, they didn't give Jim Beaver enough to do especially for him being as prominent as he was I, I feel like he got one maybe two episodes of interesting material but then often even in the episodes that featured him as drew it, the focus seemed on everybody around him rather than really fleshing out who he was as a person yeah i agree with that it seemed like he was always just there and and even after they figured out he was drew 
he had a couple of a couple of more a couple of moments where he kind of came out of his shell a little bit um, and kind of showed you that he was this Drew character who was way bigger and badder than Shelby ever was. It was still way too you know, too few times to to make it worth our while. I think. I actually think most of his best scenes were before the reveal. Mm-hmm. In terms of that, you know, he gets a uh, one good scene with Raylan, especially sticks out in my mind, and a couple with Ellen May. Um, so, and I, so I, I think that's that's where his best material actually was, because as soon as you figure out who he is, then that's when the plot really kicks into gear, and we get stuff like Get Drew and Decoy, which uh, I I think I have to mention Decoy again because I think <laughs> it might be the ultimate justified episode. Like, if they never top that, I won't mind. Well, yeah, I mean, if any show never, you know, got even close to, to Decoy, they should feel proud. It's such a fantastic episode. And it's something I was listening to um, Ryan, the Ryan and Ryan podcast talking about the season. One of the things that Mo Ryan said that I think is absolutely 100% apt, and I agree with wholeheartedly, is that this show, it's it's so incredibly well written, and it's it's so well executed and and the actors are great and the you know the direction and everything but one of the things and this is something you said simon too when we were talking about decoy is that it's so fun it has such it has such a sense of when it's being awesome and revels in that to such a, a wonderful extent and i think we got that in the the finale as well in in the the scene with the shootout i guess of in the killing of of nikki augustine yeah, there's a couple of their moments like that in in the finale as well. But I've I've been trying to think, you know, ever since you know listening to them talk about that and reflecting on on this season as a whole, I'm having trouble coming up with another hour long that's as fun or as satisfying in that way as Justified. I, I don't think there is one. I mean, I think that there are better shows, um, and there you know, there are shows that are closer to my heart, arguably. But in terms of have just just in terms of entertainment value, if you want to put it that way, I don't think there's any that can match it pound for pound. And I th- I think they're and just watching Decoy especially, what's amazing about that episode is just if you really think about it while you're watching it, there's not a wasted, there's not a wasted frame in that episode, and every bit of dialogue, every bit of characterization, every set piece is just is everyone involved just humming along at maximum efficiency. And it's really, it's a beautiful thing. I think a lot, of, not a lot of it, but I think some of it stems from their ability to, to play on themselves and to, to realize what they're doing and for Raylan as a character to, to poke fun at himself. And it all creates this, this fun atmosphere that at the end of the day, everyone's doing all these terrible things, but it's still semi-lighthearted. Um, and you look at the fact, the conversation that Boyd and Raylan have on the way over to to Nikki, and Boyd asking him if he thinks you know the guy's gonna pull, and Raylan saying, "Well, if it ain't broke, that's just a, it's just <laughs> it's such a play on what he is about, and he and the character knows it, everyone around him knows it, the audience knows it, and him saying that line right there just brought everything together and undoubtedly made everyone watching laugh." Well, and this is a show that does it, it doesn't abandon those character moments or, or or these explorations of some pretty dark places. I mean, even in season three, what what we had uh, the I can't even remember the character's name off the top of my head. The Detroit man, like he was doing some really 
fucked up shit. It was dark. And uh, with the the psychological things we see, Raylan and Boyd and Ava and all these characters dealing with the season cult, this is some this is serious stuff. But it doesn't you know, doesn't doesn't make the entire uh, series dreary in the way that Mad Men or Breaking Bad or even Game of Thrones at times really do. It's you know you can watch characters deal with very personal, very intense emotions. And and re- and get, go to some really dark places without wanting to kill yourself at the end of watching <laughs> well, it. And, and there's another perfect example of that in the finale when the, in, the Tim's entire contribution to the episode is when Raylan says to him, "That shooting, you good? Talk to Rachel about it <laughs> if you like, have to. <laughs> if you need yeah. somebody to talk to, I'll talk to Rachel." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's it's so again that self awareness and being true to the characters and the universe. And, you know, this is this is a you know, it, it's it's a universe where people either like uh, like like uh, Nikki says they, they they use four or forty words, and uh, you know it's not just Boyd. Everyone is either very talky or really keeps to themselves, and it's the the writing is just so on point. And and again, we have to credit Oliphant partly for that because he's sort of their Elmore Leonard whisperer, apparently, and. Um, yeah, there there are just there's very few moments where you're thinking to yourself, this feels contrived or this feels out of character or this feels out of place in this world. Um, it's they just have such a clear sense of what they're doing and why. And those things happen to be pretty much like there there aren't really other shows, you know, doing that that same sort of thing. Even if you look at its, you know, its drama neighbor on FX on the following day, uh, The Americans, which is, you know, obviously great. Even that show can't manage that perfect balance of lightheartedness and and drama, and isn't doesn't even really try for it. Yeah. I, I think the if there's one if, if there is an instance where something feels out of place, it's so it's so rare that it kind of jumps off the screen. And, and I thought that um, the introduction of Colt kind of made me feel that way early on, in that I felt like he just jumped jumped into this world out of nowhere and it kind of felt like a little out of place but by the time but by the time they ended his arc i was again so happy with what they did that it didn't matter that early on i kind of felt like it was it was a little out of place mm-hmm. or i I, w- I would also add that the times that they've cocked up in the past like for instance you know that episode where Winona steals the money only exists uh, only existed apparently because they needed a quick arc they could do inside you know the, the the marshal's office and and the courthouse that wouldn't cost them a lot of money but i think it it hurt the character's credibility a little bit and then they really i, I think they recognized that and then they worked overtime to fix her in season 3 and in her appearances here she's great again so i again there's this knowledge of when they've maybe not done their absolute best and they they really they work overtime to rectify it which i can't i can't think of another show whose corrective impulses those sort of self-corrective impulses are stronger yeah i agree definitely well do we have any final thoughts on on season four or this finale uh, in specific or any other things that we want to say we're hoping for for next season well i'd like to uh get y'all's opinion on uh, constable bob oh god oh. How, have I, how have we not talked about constable bob yet that's a good question. Good call. Uh, Patton Oswalt was so good this season, and it, it in in a way like if you actually read out 
his arc, you know, it, it, it I guess it was kind of obvious, like, oh, he's underestimated by everyone, so he ends up being, you know, the mightiest, but his performance was so good. And anyone who's seen the likes of uh, Big Fan or Young Adult know he has drama chops, but yeah, the the just his physical performance in, in, in Decoy is one of the many reasons that episode is so mind-blowingly good. So yeah, props to him, absolutely. I, I, I hope, I'm sure they'll bring him back at some point. Well, and they've spent so much time really crafting the world of uh, of corruption of Harlan, and uh, and and they've put a lot of time into their the the bad guys, as it were, you know, because we see them th- with Boyd's uh, world. We see that's how we're introduced to to much of Harlan because Raylan does his best to not be there <laughs> as much as he can, um, and so to and even in the sheriff's office because our connection to that was Shelby, who we met through you know his collusion with with Boyd and so to have there be at least one guy who who's a good guy who is just as interesting and colorful and badass as you know everybody we meet on the wrong side of the tracks I think I think works and and I will give them that because they haven't you know because they haven't done that yet and so I don't know I'm I I don't I think the show is is smart enough to not have him all of a sudden applying for the marshal's office or something but (laughs) But I, you know, the way that they handle their guest cast and really the way that they build that world of, of Harlan, I expect that we will see Constable Bob in the future, just like I very much hope we will see Josiah in the future with the, his one foot. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, building on what you said about how they have this world, I mean, I, I thought it was perfect when they brought Limehouse back in. I thought mm-hmm. that, you know, after last season, it was like, well, what are they going to do with him? Is he going to be completely gone? Are they going to find a way to, to keep him around? But then just bringing him back for like these one, two episodes, small parts, and having such an integral role is just is just a perfect way to bring him into the fold, and, and I thought it worked great. Yeah, and and just as important as who they don't use, you know, we didn't need to see Dewey Crow this season, we didn't need to see Dickie Bennett this season, and will we see them again? Probably, but uh, actually, you know who I really want to see again? I really want them to bring back W.O. Brown just for an episode, because I want to see if he and Raylan have actually been having those fried chicken sessions. <laughs> I want to see um, I want to see Carla Gugina back as, yeah. Yeah. as not Karen Sisko. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she changed. She got married. Yeah. Was it Goodall or Goodwin? Something or like that. Something like that. Um, and I, I guess the last thing I want to mention is I want to see Raylan's hair get even longer next season just to piss people off. Cut it. <laughs> Cut the hair. Okay, sorry. I, I was glad that Boyd's, Boyd's hair it hadn't reached the comedic heights of some of his pre- previous seasons to you know, keep it superficial for a moment. He looked a, a bit more respectable. <laughs> and, and I also, like, Ava was, you know, keeping an eye on that. So that, if you're going to talk about hair this season. And actually, to, to talk about hair, I do think some of the, the hair and makeup choices for uh, Ava were very specifically handled. You know, they, they, they went out of their way in the last few episodes to really, to, to age her or to not... Youth, you know, make her look as youthful. The straighter hair, as opposed to the curled, less makeup, more severe makeup, um, and so that was actually something I was specifically noticing. Uh, to, to to take it from a very silly place to a far more over analytical place. <laughs> I did not notice Ava's hair. Now, see, this is what <laughs> we talked about on our Walking Dead podcast. I'm sitting there noticing Lori's hair or her pedicure in the finale, and, uh, and no one else is because you guys are all paying attention to the dialogue and the character development. And uh, who cares about that stuff? Crazy things yeah. like that, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, justified. Yeah, we're not ranking stuff. It was just a really 
another really amazing season. And two, three, four, it, one. <laughs> okay, fair. Yes, <laughs> I think that's probably where I'm at. But there, it's like okay, you know, screw it. Four way tie. Four way tie. Yeah, honestly, I, I, part of me thinks they just get slightly incrementally better every year, or they get better at doing certain things every year. So, See, I think. The, the I main feel like thing that, is just but then I don't trust it because then I then I feel like it's just because I've seen the most recent one, yeah. you know. So I don't I, I don't know. I, I think I think the, the important thing for me is you know we talk a lot on the Walking Dead podcast about trust and mm-hmm. you know whether you trust this writer's room or this showrunner or whatever. I have a greater level of trust for the people making Justified than anything else on television, except for maybe Louis C.K. Yeah, no, they, they they've earned our trust in a big way and um it's just such a fun and we had to wait we had to wait a whole other year now to watch yeah. more justified <laughs> that's the downside of it but it's not um, right oh well anyways it's been so much fun talking justified dan thank you so much for coming on where can our listeners find you online uh you can find me at tvfanatic.com um and you can find me on twitter at dan Forsella. And thank you again for coming on, Dan. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.